Hello and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast, developed by the Leave a Legacy Committee of the Minnesota Gift Planning Association. We are a group of fundraising professionals here to grow and learn with you, our listeners. Twice a month, our co-hosts are joined by a special guest to talk about all things related to being a stronger fundraiser and nonprofit leader. A huge thank you to our sponsors, the Minnesota Initiative Foundations, for making this show possible. Now, without further ado, let's dive into today's show. Here are your hosts. Hello, and welcome to the Legacy of Generosity podcast. I'm Allie Schneider, and I'm the Plan Giving Officer at Animal Humane Society. And I'm Allie's co-host, Marie Ruzek, and I am a philanthropic advisor at Wells Fargo Wealth Management. Today, we have one of our very own podcast hosts as our guest, Christy Ackley of Fairwinds Consulting. She's talking with us today about engaging your nonprofit board of directors and fundraising. Welcome, Christy. Thanks, Allie. Thanks, Marie, for having me. Thanks for joining us. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and Fairwinds, please? Sure. So I am the owner, founder of Fairwinds Consulting. I work with uh, nonprofits doing a wide variety of things from fundraising consulting to board governance to um, programmatic stuff. So just about anything that a nonprofit might need, our team can help them with that. And I absolutely just love working with volunteers and love um, working with organizations that want to make the world a better place. So my personal mission is to leave this world better than when I came into it. And working with nonprofits lets me do that on a, on a really big scale. So love this work. That's awesome. And today we are here with you to talk about one of your specific things about engaging your board in fundraising. Um, maybe let's start off with why that's so important for each nonprofit. Yeah, I mean, we all know that it's a really competitive environment out there for nonprofits to raise funds, right? And sometimes it can feel very cutthroat. And I hope that the the sector can shift away from that and start to see it as more collaborative and community-driven environment. And as a consultant, I always strive strive for that myself. But um, we know that as as needs become greater and greater and more nonprofits are out there, that nonprofits are constantly looking for ways to try and raise more money, to engage more community members, to help people understand what it is that they do and why they're so important. And it's really important to get your board involved in that because they are the connectors between the nonprofit and the community. You know, they are there to represent the community. They have networks that the staff just aren't going to have. And when we look at the reason that people give to organizations, you know, the number one reason that people give is because someone that they respect asked them to give. Mm. That's your volunteers. That's your board members. Yeah. That's your, um, you're, you're just your volunteers that are helping with the programs and your services. I mean, they're the people that are connected to your community and they're the people that are respected in your community. And, and a, a paid staff member just can't reach all of those people. Mm-hmm. How, how do you recommend in recruiting board members that those expectations are set in advance of them joining the board so that they know that fundraising is going to be expected, encouraged, 
Um, and, and they'll be able to do that in a way that they're comfortable with, but that they have to know that it, it's something that joining the board, that is going to be essential. Yeah, so I think it starts in the application process um, when you're asking board members or potential board members to join your organization, when you're vetting them, um, when you're teaching them about your organization and what it looks like. There should be a really clear position description for board members on what their role is within the organization, um, what the expectations are for them and how that board culture looks, all of that type of stuff. And then in the application that you ask that question, how can you help us, um, you know, meet our mission by growing our audience, growing our connections? I think when you use the word fundraising right away, Mm -hmm. we want to be clear and transparent, right? Mm -hmm. But when we use the word fundraising, not a lot of volunteers don't understand that there's 14 steps in the fundraising cycle, that there's many, many ways to engage. They hear fundraising, they hear, you want me to go ask my neighbor for a $10,000 gift. That's what they hear as soon as you say it. Mm -hmm. Yep. It freaks them out. It does. It does. So helping them understand from the beginning that part of fundraising is, is really building relationships you know, being those door openers, being the people that thank your donors. I mean, stewardship is so incredibly important. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the Lilly School of Philanthropy um, and some other organizations always do a survey of donors, especially of, you know, large gift donors. And then one of the things that they consistently have said year after year is that they don't know how their money was used that stewardship Mm. is something that nonprofits are really, really bad at. Hmm. So even if all you can get your board to do is engage in the stewardship part, that's a huge win. It's much easier. What I heard you say was really essential, and I've been in places where we haven't had this, is that written board job description that includes engagement, we'll say, Mm -hmm. as a duty. And I've certainly had these conversations with nonprofit leaders at the organizations that I've worked at, and everyone knows that it's an expectation, but they don't say it out loud, and they Mm -hmm. don't explain it in the recruitment process, and it can cause a lot of discontentment. And so I really like your suggestion of having both a written job description and an application process to be able to make all of those expectations clear and vetted out. Yeah. Yeah. I think we have this idea that we're like begging people to join our boards. Right. And we're almost like they're doing us a favor by joining the board. And so we set the expectations really low or we're like, Oh, you just have to come to one meeting a month, you know, and then Mm -hmm. we're frustrated that they don't do more. Well, you told them they only had to come to one meeting a month and they're coming to that meeting a month, you know? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. if we, we, if we start to change and shift our perspective and how we see board membership, people join boards for a reason. They join because they want to give back because the mission is really important to them. They get a lot out of being on the board. Sometimes they join for clout or for networking or for whatever, but they join for a reason. They get something out of it too. And seeing it as like this transaction, like you, they're only giving to the organization, the organization isn't giving to them is, you know, a, a false 
perspective and we need to shift that. Once you shift that, then setting those board expectations, having that position description, treating them like you would treat any other employee is so much easier to do. Except for they're kind of our bosses, not our employees. <laughs> hey, coaching up, coaching up. Yeah, there you go. That's funny. Christy, you also mentioned that um, depending, like Marie kind of said, it's engaging in fundraising. It doesn't necessarily mean they have to be a part of those large gift asks, but there are other ways that they can engage through thank you calls or networking. Is there anything else that you would mention? Yeah. So when I think about board engagement, I absolutely love Kay Sprinkle Grace's approach, the the triple A approach of ambassadors, advocates, and askers. So really helping board members understand that as an ambassador, they're making friends. That's their whole job is every single person in your organization should be an ambassador. We should be out there making friends. And your advocates are really making the case for why you support that organization. And that can be informal advocacy or formal advocacy. Um, you know, it's it could be going to a Lions or a Kiwanis group and talking about the organization, right? And then there's their askers. So when I am training a board or working with a new board, one of the first things I do is I survey them. And I've created a survey based on Kay's model um, that defines some of those different tasks underneath the mm-hmm. ambassadors, the advocates, the askers. And I ask every board member to fill out the survey and I self-identify how they would like to engage in that fundraising work. Um, what it does is it helps them see that there's so many other ways that they can be involved and be valuable. And as leaders, it helps us go, okay, Allie really would love to host an event at her house, mm-hmm. but she's not going to go and sit down and do a one-on-one ask with a donor. Okay, well hosting an event at your house can sometimes be one of the best ways to make new connections and to bring in a lot of money. But if I ask Marie to do the same thing, Marie might say yes to me, but if she, because she's Minnesotan and we say yes when people ask us (laughs) to do things, (laughs) but if she doesn't really want to do it, she's going to drag her feet. There's going to come up reasons why she can't. It's, it's just ultimately not going to happen. And so I've now wasted my time as a leader trying to get Marie to do something that's not in her wheelhouse where Allie was sitting there going, Oh, I would have loved to have done that, but she already asked Marie. And so I don't want to volunteer now because I don't want to step on Marie's toes. And Marie's Mm -hmm. going, dang it. I didn't want to do this, but I said yes, Mm -hmm. because I was asked. Mm -hmm. I'm getting better at saying no, just so you say no. That's good. No, period. We don't have to give it a reason why the answer is no, Mm -hmm. just no. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, Christy, you've worked with many, many boards. So what have you seen as some of the biggest challenges to getting boards involved in the crucial task of fundraising for an organization that they care about? Mm -hmm. I would say the biggest barrier is one word, fear. Mm -hmm. They're just afraid of it. They don't know what it means. They are uncomfortable. They don't know how to do it. Um, they don't know what the expectations are, or they're they're not sure what questions might be asked of them. They think that they don't have anybody in their network. I mean, there's all of these reasons that they come up with, but it all boils down to fear. 
they just don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. And so the best way to overcome fear is mm-hmm. knowledge, right? Is, is training them, teaching them, mm-hmm. providing them support, um, having shared language, helping them mm-hmm. to understand the different ways that they can engage and, you know, um, providing them with really easy tools to go out and fundraise. I love board members who are willing to go do presentations. And I think the easiest way to get a board member to say yes to that and to feel comfortable with that is creating a presentation for them that basically is them introducing themselves, them introducing why they're involved in the organization. And then if I've got the resources, a video that tells Mm -hmm. the short story of the organization. So not relying on that volunteer, not relying on that board member to tell the story because they're going to freeze up. They're going to think I'm not going to tell the right story or whatever. Right. So they get to just hit play provided technology works, of course, (laughs) they get to hit play, play that story, and then just be there to answer questions and, you know, share any additional information or, or refer people to the right person to talk to. That makes it so incredibly easy for them to then go out and do that because everything's basically done, been done for them. All they have to do really is show up. And that, that helps a ton. Mm-hmm. So equipping them with the resources that they need to be successful. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Making it simple and fun to be a part of the group. I think that that's also key. Do the heavy lifting for your volunteers, right? Don't right. make them come up with stuff on their own. That right. That is not motivating. That goes back to what Christy said at the beginning, too, that having them go out there and do it is so impactful coming from somebody who's not getting paid within the organization and mm-hmm. having them so present true. about something. Mm-hmm. That would be cool. So true. What other tools have you used? You've already listed a bunch of tools that I think mm-hmm. are I would consider best practices in engaging, um, recruiting, and training board members. What other best practices do you kind of have in your back pocket that you use with volunteers or board members who are um, being asked to help with fundraising? Um, One of my favorite things to do is make sure that the board members are part of the decision-making process about the goals. Let the board set goals for the board on what their their fundraising Mm -hmm. um, milestones are. You know, when we say, hey, our fundraising goal this year is $100,000 and we need you to support that, they might be able to get behind that. But when you say, hey, board, you know, let's have a a strategic planning session or just a, you know, strategic conversation and set some goals ourselves. And what do do we want to accomplish as a board? There's a lot more buy-in and a lot more engagement with your board if they're the ones who are setting the goals for themselves. Um, and then the other thing is, is, you know, it goes back to that AAA survey and just leaning into your board strengths, getting to know your board individually, not just as a whole, but mm-hmm. who's on there, what motivates them, you know, is it competition? Okay. Then can you have mm-hmm. a friendly competition between a couple board members that that's something that motivates them? It's okay to use different tools to engage different board members in different ways. It's like I said, it's very similar to employees, right? And to how we, we coach and work with our team. Every person is different 
And so we want to, you know, we want to treat them differently and, and engage them. And I know that means a little bit more work and a little bit more getting to know your board, but it pays off so mm-hmm. much in the end. Um, that work on the front end saves you so much time and effort and results in such greater, you know, fundraising in the end that it is definitely worth it. Mm-hmm. I was just thinking that I've had many people not want to be on a committee or a board, but they have been willing to help. How would we use more ad hoc volunteers in an organized way? Is that something that you've seen or would recommend? Yeah. So a lot of boards will do, uh, you know, they'll have a fundraising committee and that fundraising Mm. committee will have a couple board members, but then just a bunch of volunteers And it can be a really great um, way to get those people who don't want to serve on the full board engaged in your fundraising, but also be a path to future board members because they might not want to be a board member right now, but once they're super engaged in your organization and doing that fundraising and seeing that culture on your board and seeing how much fun you have and the support that's there then it's an easy ask later to go, hey, why don't you step up your commitment one level and join the board? So it's a really great recruitment tool in addition to a great fundraising tool. Um, And as long as you've got a strong board member who can kind of lead that fundraising committee and be the liaison between the committee and the full board and and the executive director of the development staff, then it can be, it can be really, really beneficial. I can see that. I'm not sure if this kind of plays into like the engaging the board in fundraising, but what about fundraising from your board? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So the hundred percent giving, is that kind of what you're kind of? Yeah. 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 Okay. So I'm going to show my cards here. You guys, I don't believe <laughs> in a hundred percent giving. Okay. I don't. Um, I feel like as we are trying to be more equitable in our organizations and and be more diverse in who's on our board, when we put that dollar value on our boards and don't value their engagement on the board, don't value you know anything else. It all comes down to whether they give or not. And I understand you know you can say, well, it's an impactful gift to you. Well, if I'm a person, you know that's in poverty, and I'm trying to figure out this $5 that I have left in my bank account, whether that's going to buy milk or gas this week to get to work, I don't have an impact. My time is my impactful gift. Mm, right. And so I, I don't believe in asking for 100% giving because they're giving one of their most valuable resources, which is their time, their energy, their commitment, their passion. And I, to date, have never had a donor ask me how much of your board gifts. Never. <laughs> I think mm. it's a myth. I, I really think it's a lie. I right. don't know. Have you guys ever had a donor ask you that? Not nope. a donor, but funders. So more mm. like uh-huh. corporate foundations and others, they sometimes have that on their application. But I agree. I've seen the 100% giving backfire. Even with people that were giving generously, they didn't want to be told that they had to. They wanted okay. to volunteer their generosity. And so even from that angle, in addition to the diversity, equity, and inclusion angle and having some folks that are 
maybe being impacted by the services of the nonprofit being constituents or clients of the organization. I've seen that being a really powerful addition to the board. And they can certainly participate in one of the triple A's that you outlined, the uh, be an advocate, be an ambassador, or an asker. And all three of those would be just as important as a financial contribution. I, like I can that. see them being an asker, somebody who's actually received the services. That would be so impactful to have someone like that on the board. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's some very dynamic folks that are just going through a rough time that are mm-hmm. great storytellers. And um, it, yeah, would be a wonderful addition to any group that wants their energy. Absolutely. Absolutely. What other, so that's kind of a mistake having that hundred percent giving, what are other mistakes that you have maybe come across that you've seen boards do that really didn't turn out well in the end? So I would, I would say the lack of communication with your board, Mm -hmm. you know, we, um, somebody once told me that disappointment most often comes from, you know, unmet, unspoke expectations. It's not from reality. It's not from what actually happened, but it's these expectations that we had of what was going to happen. And most of the time it's because we never communicated them. And so that's Mm -hmm. where I see the biggest mistake happen with boards is that 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 just that lack of communication, that lack of support of teaching them um, and helping them understand all the different ways that they can engage in the fundraising cycle is probably the biggest mistake I see. Um, another one would be a heavy reliance on events. So okay. there's definitely this phenomenon amongst volunteers where they're like, nope, 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 nope. I'm not going to be engaged in fundraising. I'm not going to. And if you push them, then they're like, okay, fine. How about a bingo night or how about <laughs> right? some event that takes so much of their time and their effort and their relationships with people to get them to come to the event. And the result is net zero, you know, or maybe mm-hmm. you make a couple thousand dollars. But when you start looking at all the staff time that went into it, it really is a net zero. And so that heavy reliance on an event, especially an event where there isn't a thoughtful, intentional way to build relationships with donors is a big mistake. It's a big miss. Um, Now, I'm not saying all events are bad, but if that's the only thing that you're doing and that's the only way you can get your board to be involved and there's no intentional follow-up of we had this great event. Now we're reaching out to you afterwards to talk to you about the organization or just, you know, just say, what did you, what did you learn at our event? What, what was something new about our organization that you learned and having just some open conversations with your donors or your potential donors after the event can be a really great way to engage boards. But what happens instead is we're exhausted. It was a huge event (laughs) Mm -hmm. for on display, right? We're talking to all these people. And the last thing our board wants to do afterwards is have intentional follow-up. They're tired. They just want a break. They're on to the next thing, whatever. Or they're thinking about next year's event. 
Mm-hmm. So, how do you um, recommend that staff people work with leadership and the volunteers to educate them to see that the ROI on the events that they are so emotionally tied to just isn't there? That is a tough one, Marie. I mean, you're right, especially when they're emotionally tied to it. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm working, I'm volunteering as a mentor this year. And um, that is something that we've been working on together and providing data, tools, evidence, um, communication, getting some strategic volunteers to share the story on behalf of the staff. And, and in some instances, if it's an organization that is newer to major or planned gift fundraising, even the leaders are not totally bought in to fundraising techniques other than events. So, yeah, I know. I kind of try to pull out all my tips and tricks, but it's still challenging. Yeah, I mean, what I have seen in my own experience, and I and I haven't run into very many people that push back too hard once you provide them with the data and, and help them understand the ROI on most events. Um, but those really stubborn people is just start kind of coaching them, you know, asking them questions about why is this event important to you? What does it accomplish? You know, are there other ways that this same thing can be accomplished that are less time intensive or staff intensive and, and kind of help them by asking those really powerful questions, just helping them come to the conclusion that it's Mm -hmm. not the right thing to do versus being told that it's not the right thing to do or saying, Mm -hmm. Hey, this is best practice, or this is whatever. Some people rail against that. They don't want to be told it's a best practice. I don't care. My organization Mm -hmm. is going to do this or whatever. Mm -hmm. So or they yeah, want to have a fun party and it's part right? of their socializing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If that's the case, if they want to have this fun party and it's part of their socializing, okay, then what are you going to do to make this more impactful for your organization? What's the follow-up you're going to do after? What's the intentionality behind this to build those relationships? Because when we have an event with 300 people at it, there's no way you're building relationships for your organization. You're building knowledge and awareness, mm-hmm. but not relationships unless there's Agreed. some, yeah. I mean, you'd have to have just a, a huge team of volunteers sitting at each table to try and build relationships and taking really good notes and follow up afterwards. And that's just not happening. So if you want to have this event, then what are you doing to change the the, the future of your organization and, and to help them grow? I've always viewed events as relationship building tools, not as fundraising, because Mm -hmm. they just, with a few rare exceptions, they just aren't. Right. Right. I mean, those really small grassroots, you know, like I said, the, the house party type where you've got that impactful community influencer that invites you over to their house for an intimate type event. Those can be great fundraisers um, still to this day. But there's not very many of those happening. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, as a whole, they're awareness building events. That's what I call them. Mm-hmm. 
What about some super successes that you've seen with board members engaging in the AAAs and fundraising activities? Yeah, so I actually just did um, some work with an organization in northern Minnesota where their board um, is mandated. A lot of who is on their board is requirements. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to have a person from this sector and because they get federal funding. Um, And so when you have an organization like that, you tend to have less engagement on your board because they're there filling a mandated role and maybe don't always Mm, have the same passion as somebody who's just volunteering, right? So this board has had, you know, historically low levels of engagement, even with their board meetings. Getting a quorum has has been hard. They just did strategic planning and they had two of their board members show up for the strategic planning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was, um, we, were, we really weren't sure like how well this was going to go. It, but this organization really needs to, this will be the first time that they've really engaged in fundraising as their federal funding continues to be more and more restricted. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we started with the awareness building, helping the board understand what fundraising is, what those different methods were. Then we surveyed the board ahead of time. And finally, we did the a, did a two and a half hour training um, on a Thursday evening, almost every single board member showed up. Wow. Yeah. It was the best turnout they've had in a couple years for their board meetings. Mm. And they were super engaged. We did a great, I mean, it was just one of those really interactive, great trainings. They had some really great small group um, conversations and every board member left with a three commitments that they were going to do over the next 90 days to support their organization in fundraising. So it was just, you know, it was a really slow rollout with this board Mm -hmm. of helping them kind of start changing their mindset of what this engagement looked like, helping them to understand how much the organization could grow in their mission if they could start to fundraise. And then at that night at that training, we, let them identify what their goals were going to be for their mm-hmm. board, you know, and they came up with some, some pretty amazing goals. And then we, you know, we talked them through how this could look and how each of them could engage in their strengths. And like I said, they left each, each board member left with three goals. And now at future meetings, they're going to make sure that they've got time carved out on their board agenda to talk about, what those commitments were, how people are doing on the commitments, what um, what additional support, what barriers they came into, and they're going to start adding a mission moment to each of their board mm. meetings. So mm-hmm. stories Fantastic. to give their board stories. So really excited about where this organization is going. Um, and really just, it, it was a really good way to engage them. So, what I'm hearing from that particular success story is sometimes it, when you're in the nonprofit organization, you're really close to everything. You might not have all the answers or resources that you need, and it's okay to ask for help to you know, join a professional association or just reach out to other colleagues or hire a consultant like you to come in and be that third party that knows how to get this done so that they can, you know, move on 
right? And not keep spinning their wheels and doing everything that they can think of, but it's just not working. So Mm -hmm. I I guess I would, that's my takeaway from that is you don't have to shoulder everything yourself. You don't have to have all the answers. You can, we're a generous professional community. We like to help each (laughs) other. You can reach out. That's for sure. That is for sure. And, you know, this executive director had been saying some of the same things that I said in the training for years. (laughs) And it was just falling on deaf ears. But an old colleague of mine said, the best way to become an expert is to grab a briefcase and travel 30 miles. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) And it's so true. There's something about the psychology behind why we see an outside person. Mm -hmm. They might have the same, they might even have as good a credentials as your executive or your Mm -hmm. development director. And yet we, you know, take their word over these people that we hired and we know and we trust for so long. And not sure someday I'll have to learn the psychology behind why that is that way, but it's so true though. Yeah. You know, earlier we were talking about um, volunteers and and why it's important to have volunteers involved. And I, I meant to mention this earlier and I forgot, but I want to talk about a little bit about case study. So you guys know the United Way, obviously. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows United Way is right. Yeah. And we've been hearing for years now that that model is hurting. Mm-hmm. Well, over the last three years as a whole, United Ways across the U.S. have seen a decline in their giving by 11%. Like that's the average decline in giving year over year for United wow. Ways. However, when they have volunteers heavily engaged in their fundraising, it's only 3% the decline is. Wow. So I mean, hmm. still decline I guess, because there's so many other re- reasons for that decline in the first place. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if that doesn't give you real data, real proof that volunteers have such a huge impact mm-hmm. on fundraising success, I don't know what else does. That's very interesting and telling. Right. Yeah, for sure. I'm glad you mentioned that. You've kind of said it all along, but, and maybe it's a good recap of everything you've said. So you've got the board, they're getting engaged. How do you keep them engaged? I keep saying this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but it's the same way that we keep our employees engaged, right? You, you celebrate the wins, Mm -hmm. you give them positive feedback, you recognize them in the way that they want or like to be recognized. Mm -hmm. Um, you keep the goals front and center, keep talking about those. And most importantly, you hold them accountable. Mm-hmm. We have a really hard time. I mean, Marie, you said it earlier, there are bosses. So mm-hmm. holding our bosses accountable feels really uncomfortable, but they need that. They need that accountability. And if it's not going to come from the executive director or the development staff or whomever that person is that's, you know, leading those efforts, then making sure that the board chair, you know, that you're working with the board chair or the development chair to create an accountability process. But they they need to be accountable to those goals that they set and to the commitments that they make. Um, because what happens when we don't hold them accountable is... They, they keep going, oh, well, no, nobody asked me about that this month, so I'll just do it next month. But then life gets busy, and they know they're not going to be asked about it again, so they just keep not doing it. Right. Um, 
and you can you can hold somebody accountable without it being uncomfortable or weird you know it's mm-hmm. just checking in and having that regular feedback I think it shows your professionalism too when you are following up and and um, sticking to the plan and one thing though that I have come across is that sometimes the plan that you've all agreed to and put in place and that you are holding yourselves accountable to just isn't working. Mm-hmm. And so when do you figure, you know, how do you know you need to make tweaks and be flexible and without looking like you don't know what you're doing to your board and volunteers when it's really clear what we all signed up for is just not going to cut it? Have you come across that? I know I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I actually um, started working with the client right before COVID. And we had mm-hmm. these really big fundraising lofty goals, right? And their board had these big goals. They'd never, there was an organization that had never really fundraised before. They had been able to exist off of grants up until this point. And they'd been in the community for like 22 years. And so we got started and we were like, okay, we've created these goals. We trained them on how to fundraise. And then as I started to interview community members to just see what the perception of this organization was, I found out there was no perception. Nobody knew who they were. (laughs) They had been working in the community for so long, but so much, Mm. you know, just doing services with these kids and they'd never needed to advertise before. They got all of their referrals to the school districts um, Mm. that other nonprofits knew who they were, but the community Mm -hmm. members at large just didn't know who they were. And so we, we had to pivot and go, okay, this might be hard to fundraise if people don't know who you are and we're going to need to do some relationship building. Well, then COVID hit and we (laughs) went, hmm, okay, nobody knows who you are and we can't meet face to face. Right. (laughs) This is going to be a challenge. So we just had to have some really honest conversations about what the future looked like and how we could still help them move forward in their goals. And so we did a lot of marketing, building up their website, creating a logo. They didn't even have a logo. You know, I mean, they just Mm. were so um, behind the scenes that they just didn't need to be known until now. And Mm -hmm. so it took some patience and... Now they are very well known in the organ in the community and they are fundraising and they're doing well at it and, and things are going well. But um, I know it, sometimes it can feel like, oh, they're going to think that I don't know what I'm doing, but just having honest conversations with people and saying, we had some goals, we're at whatever, you know, a third of the way through this goal period, or, you know, whether it's a year long goal or a six month goal. We should be here. We're not. Mm-hmm. What are our barriers? Why aren't we there? What are what are our challenges? What um, other mm-hmm. opportunities maybe have come along that have distracted us from this particular goal? Mm-hmm. It doesn't always have to be a failure thing. It could be that some other really mm-hmm. amazing opportunity came along, and we only right. have so many so much time and so much energy. And if you are, you know, holding yourselves accountable and being transparent like that, those conversations should happen naturally, mm-hmm. right? It won't right. be like, oh, no, we forgot to do all the things that we <laughs> meant to do. 
right? <laughs> you'll you'll know. We, we all agreed to do this. No one did it. There's got to be some sort of, I, I'm thinking of when I've had volunteers that were making asks and they just weren't weren't getting out there and making appointments. And so how could we tweak that? We, we were lucky enough to be able to dedicate some staff resources to be able to coordinate calendars and get appointments mm-hmm. made for them, mm-hmm. which was great, which not, I know not every organization has that capability, but that was how we tweaked it. We're like, oh no, no one's making their reach outs. Now what do we do? And that right. was kind of going back to the drawing table and seeing what, what we could make it, um, what we could do to make it easier for them. Mm-hmm. You know, what was, what was that barrier? You said something like what, 14 steps in fundraising. Is that what you said? <laughs> right. Yeah. I don't know which step that was, but it wasn't, that wasn't, that step wasn't happening. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Well, you sound like you, I mean, you're just a wealth of experience and knowledge and best practices, Christy. I, I know that I mm-hmm. have recommended um, you as a potential consultant for some of my organizations that I work with. And so I do, I, I totally trust you to get the job done. And I think that our conversation today is evidence of your expertise. So we're really happy mm-hmm. to have you on Thanks, with Marie. us today. You're welcome. And I, I do love referrals. That is the best <laughs> <laughs> the best way to to spread the word is by referrals for sure. Yes. Thank you very much, Christy. And is there any last piece of advice? Any last word you want to say? You know, I think the, the just the last thing I'd like to say is just is giving your volunteers a lot of grace. Just remembering that we all have very busy lives. We have lots of information being bombarded on us all the time. And so, you know, being able to go, oh, they're not making their appointments. What can we do? What's the barrier to this? How can we support them in making them? And just believing that our volunteers are engaged because they're passionate about our organization. And so if something's not working, it's not because they're lazy or they don't want to or whatever. It's it's because there's a real barrier and we just have to help them figure out what that is and how to get around it. So providing grace and, and kindness is the best way to engage your board and keep them engaged. And before we leave, can you please tell our listeners how they can find you? Sure. So you guys can find me on LinkedIn, Christy Ackley, um, or you can go to my website, fairwindsmn.com. That's uh, fair winds is a is a nautical saying fair winds and following seas. So it's nod back to my Navy days. But um, all of my contact information and my services are on my website at fairwindsmn.com. Or like I said, connect with me on LinkedIn. And that's Christy, K-R-I-S-T-I, Ackley, A-C-K-L-E-Y, correct? Yep. Perfect. You got it, Allie. Well, thank you again for joining us today. And to all our listeners, don't forget to subscribe to our Legacy of Generosity podcast and follow us on Instagram for all of our future episodes. So thank you for listening, and we hope you join us next time.